Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast. I'm your host, John Struble. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen to streaming interviews on our website at charlestonlaw.edu. Professor of Law and Director of Office of Diversity Initiatives here at Charleston School of Law, Deborah Garens. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited about being here. This is an exciting uh, opportunity to speak to you as well. This Friday, there's an event going on. The South Carolina Bar Continuing Legal Education Division is hosting a screening of the documentary called A Crime on the Bayou. It's this Friday at 2 o'clock, and we'll give you some more details on that later in our conversation. This is a story of the landmark constitutional case from 1966 that involved Gary Duncan. Let's just step back a little bit and set the stage for our conversation. What happened on that fateful summer night in 1966 in New Orleans to Gary Duncan? It's amazing when you think back to 1966, which was not that long ago, but the environment in which we live now. This is Louisiana, Mm. Duncan versus Louisiana, not Charleston, not South Carolina, but some things were happening in South Carolina too. So this event, October 19th, 1966, was during the day, right after school. The federal government said, This is 1966. Brown versus Board of Education was decided in 1954. Mm -hmm. Schools, you need to integrate. Mm. So Mr. Duncan, he was 19 years old at the time, married, had a child, responsible citizen, was just driving along, and he happened to see his two cousins on the side of the street, not far from the school, and there were four Caucasian boys, the same age as them, with them. And so he said... He thought, and this is what he testified in court, I need to stop and see what's happening. So he just pulled up. His cousin said they're asking our names, and they're our age. They're going to class with us. We don't need to give our names. And Mr. Duncan said, well, why why do you want to know their names? And they're like, we just want to know their names. And he's like, well, my name is on my shirt. You see who I am. So let's just move on, move, move forward. And... They continue to go back and forth. So Mr. Duncan just simply put his hand on one of the Caucasian boys' elbow and said, we're getting ready to leave. Let's just go. Just leave it. Yeah. And he got into his car and left and left with his two cousins. And all of a sudden, he's arrested. And that was wild how that happened, too, because... It was the middle of the night, from what I understand, and you can kind of pick up the story from here, but police busted into his home and just arrested him on the spot. Is that accurate? Yes, yes, it was in the middle of the night. Again, this occurred in the afternoon, broad daylight, and you have two conflicting stories, like you always do Mm. in most criminal cases, yet this was not a situation where he was accused of killing someone or Mm -hmm. raping someone, nothing like that, simply touch of the elbow. But the Caucasian, the white boy, said, oh, he slapped me. Even that is not a reason (laughs) to burst into somebody's house in the middle of the night and erase them. I mean, and arrest them. So this was, 
again, it was normal for 1966. But when I think about it, when I read this case and share it with my students, it's it's heartbreaking. Mm. It is heartbreaking that in the United States of America, this great country, because of someone's skin color, that person is treated differently and poorly. And it's important. I, I just find this so compelling as you speak about this in class and it's upsetting. We never need to forget the fact that these are stories, but they are real people too, that this is happening to. This isn't some fictional tale we're making up. Yes. So what happens at that point? I mean, Gary Duncan's life just turns on a 90 degree angle, right? Maybe a 180 degree angle at this point. What happens to him after he's arrested? After he's arrested, then he goes to an attorney. Now, remember, this is, again, 1966. Very few black or brown attorneys. Context is real important to understand this story. Yes. So we're back here in 1966. He does go to a black attorney. He said, oh, there's another firm that handles these types of cases. You're a black man being accused of hitting, slapping a white man, white boy, Caucasian boy. So we're going to need somebody to help us. It's not a civil rights issue, yet it's going to turn into that. Okay. So they contacted this firm in which, well, it was an organization in which these attorneys, of which Sobel was a part of, would handle these civil rights cases because many of the black attorneys, and some of them testified to this, would be threatened if they chose to represent a black person wow. in this type of cases, even a criminal case, they their family members would be threatened. So they were concerned about representing Gary Duncan. So Gary Duncan reached out to this firm. The firm then reached out to the firm in which Sobel was a part of. Mm. And he was a part of, it was the lawyer's defense, I want to get it right, the Lawyer's Constitutional Defense Committee. Okay. That was a group of attorneys. Many of them were Jewish, and Sobel was Jewish. And so Sobel went to court with the black attorney in Louisiana said, I want to be associated to represent Gary Duncan in this criminal case. Okay. No discussion about anything else. All right. He was there in court during the trial. Testimony was given. He was found guilty. They appealed it. And then it goes all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> decided. I know, a simple case all the way up to the United States Supreme Court decided in 1968. And it's funny to think about Duncan not even asking for a jury trial. That's the big thing. He asked for a jury trial. Mm. Judge says, oh, our statute doesn't, you don't get a jury trial. It's a misdemeanor, simple battery. Because it was changed from the, I think it was the unlawful, unlawful cruelty to a minor. And he didn't fit the elements of that statute. So, oh, they changed it. It's just simply dismissing it because you have the wrong charge. Yeah. So this government cannot just do that. Right. Once you have that charge, it's in. The elements have not been met. It's, it's dismissed. But then they changed it since the elements could not be met. And then it was changed to simple battery. And he went to court on the simple battery, found guilty, appealed it to the United States Supreme Court. And this small case 
was a landmark decision in civil rights cases mm-hmm. that even if it's a misdemeanor, if you're charged with a criminal offense, you have a right to a jury trial under the Sixth Amendment. You've been here at the school alone for 13 years. This is a case that you've taught in class, so you're very familiar with it, and you're very familiar with who Gary Duncan is. And Gary Duncan will be on the panel this Friday along with uh, Armin Durfner, who was a professor here as well and wrote a book called Justice Deferred. But you have never met Gary Duncan. This will be your first opportunity on Friday, won't it? It will be. And it's amazing because I always tell students what you said earlier. These are people in these cases. Yeah. These are real people. Gary Duncan was a real person. I always tell them that. Don't forget about that. And so when I talk and I even demonstrate in my class how he just put his hand on the elbow of this Caucasian boy and said, this is it. We need to move on. We do, I don't want any trouble. Let's move on. And I do that demonstration and talk about it. Now I get to meet him. Yeah. So that's like super, I'm super honored to be able to do that. And I want to tell you one thing, and he will probably say this, that his mom pushed him to request a jury trial. Okay. Because he simply could have pled guilty. Even the judge said, oh, just plead guilty. I'll reduce the fine it would, and nothing. And his mom like, no, we're going to court <laughs> and we're going to appeal this. No, and I, mom, I, I no. know, I know. So I'm grateful for his mom yeah. for pushing that up because because we wouldn't have Duncan versus Louisiana. And, that's, and that makes a difference when people challenge the law. It's very, I mean, it's more, how should I put it? You you need to be prepared for what may come at you, especially an African-American, a black person in 1966 and everything that was going on at that time in right. society. Uh, so I'd be intrigued to hear what you find out from him and how that impacted his life. Have you ever explored what had happened to him after all this had passed and he moved on with his life? Was he able to move on with his life? He was able to move on with his life, and that determination and his strength just carried forward with him. And he became friends with Sobel, his attorney. Right. Richard Sobel, they stayed friends. He he was like a part of the family. And when Richard died, he died in 2020. And Gary said, or Mr. Duncan said, a part of him died Aww. with him. So that just shows that strong relationship yeah. and the important role we have as attorneys with our clients and having that interaction with them and having that relationship, fighting, fighting for your clients. Mm. And that's what Sobel did for him. And and it's just amazing because both of their lives were at risk right. for challenging the system. And in this particular parish in Louisiana, when you, we think about parish bosses and political bosses, <laughs> this guy Perez was when I read about him and saw some documentaries about him, he was the king boss. Okay. He controlled everybody, everything, and you were going against him when you challenged the line. And he even said, he was interviewed, and he said that black people were like lower status than Caucasian people. And so the interviewer said, 
well, you're a bigot. And he's like, I'm not a bigot. And he just <laughs> laughed and you're like, Mr. Perez, you may control this parish in Louisiana, but you have no control over the English language. By <laughs> <laughs> definition, you are a bigot. <laughs> but it's it's, it's just the, the, the way things just seem to be natural mm. in this, the mistreatment of people because, again, because of skin color, mm -hmm. because of ethnicity, mm -hmm. instead of seeing people as equal in this document, the United States Constitution, that's for everybody. Yeah. It is for everyone. Um, Richard Sobel, you mentioned, I thought it was so poignant to mention at that time period, he stepped away from his other work, didn't he, to take on this case? He was so passionate about what was going on with Mr. Duncan that he moved away and obviously put himself potentially in harm's way. He did. So. He he moved away from his firm. He was with a firm, I believe it was in D.C., and moved away from that. And the firm also had a former United States Supreme Court justice, Abe Fortas. Okay. Now, Fortas was not a Supreme Court justice when Sobel was there, but right afterwards yes. he became Supreme Court justice. And he resigned, and we'll talk about that later while yeah. he resigned. Why he resigned. <laughs> Different <laughs> podcast. Right, <laughs> right. But it shows you as a prestigious law firm yep. left that for little money. I don't know if he got any money for his representation of people in the civil rights cases, along with Armand Durfner. They did it because they believed the Constitution meant what it said, mm -hmm. and that's why they fought for these rights for everyone. And it was so important that Sobel did that, took on Mr. Duncan's case, carried it all the way up to the United States Supreme Court and won. It's amazing. I love it. I love this story. Yeah, what, I, what is also telling to me through this story is, the one, the relationship between Gary Duncan and uh, Richard Sobel, but also how it evolved and how their story um, really makes you understand that as you get further and further into the law that um, your own values are challenged. And sometimes you rise up into those values. It's like, oh, no, no, I get a paycheck to do this, like what Sobel's doing, but it's like, no, no, this is more important than that paycheck. I'll find other work. Um and he went and he helped another man. Right. Another man, not a black man, not a white man, not a Jewish man, another man that right. needed help at that time. So I think that that gives me kind of goosebumps. Yes, yes, you know, a that's fellow kind, human being. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that's, you know, if we are to be love and and help each other when needed and be graceful and be um, be those things. That's... That's, that's key. That's the bottom line. Yes, yeah. yeah. And he was, I mentioned that, and you also mentioned that Mr. Duncan was 19 when this happened. Yeah. And Richard Sobel was only 28. Oh, my goodness. He was 30 when this case went to the United States wow. Supreme Court. That's bold. Right. And that's <laughs> what I tell the law students, too. I'm like, don't think you're too young yes. to have a positive impact in this world. Yeah. If you see that drive and you see the need for positive change, you need to go forward. Yeah. 
You Don't drag call. your feet. Right, Run. Right, right. <laughs> and then one of the, in the documentary, you'll see, of course, we've seen them all on television about the water hoses on people mm. simply protesting, yep. not doing anything horrible. And then one little girl was crying about going to school. She said, I just want an education. I mm. just want to go to school. I just want to go to school. Mm. And she was crying. And she said, and I don't, her name wasn't given in the documentary. And she said, if they'll just have to kill me because I will keep going to school because I have that right. Wow. And they even showed like little Ruby Bridges walking into the school. And, and again, it's amazing, John, to me. Why is that a big, why was that a big deal? Yeah. Why was that a big yep. deal? Don't you want an educated society, everybody yeah. to be educated? Why would you say, oh no, because you have brown skin, you can't come to this school. It, it's illogical, it, it irrational. Really yeah, and that's what makes people, I think, so passionate, those who do have logical thinking and can look beyond skin color and ethnicity and those things to do what's right, yes. regardless of all those yes. gender, race, yes. all those pieces. Yes. Um, so we talked about Sobel, the, the actual... Um, documentary, it sounds from what you were just telling me, you had a chance to see it already. Yes, I've viewed um, it. Without giving too much away, uh, it, does that just basically go back and cover the whole case with interviews from key people in the documentary? It does. It does. It goes back. Of course, Mr. Duncan is interviewed now. It even the has the transcript from the trial. Okay. So testimony of his cousin's even testimony of some of the Caucasian boys that were outside, the four of them, that is stated. And then viewings of the newsreels from Louisiana, some of those cases gotcha. and happenings. And then Perez, the... The boss, the he was making the right person. <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah. he, he's interviewed. So you see a lot of that in the documentary. Most and of them are still alive then. With the exception of Sobel, it sounds like you said passed away in 2020. And Perez is dead. Oh, yes, he but, died. Yeah, okay, yeah, he passed since then. But the, but the others, yes. Yeah, all there, there. Some of them are still living th that and having a memory of those occurrences in the 60s and how those civil rights cases rose up to go to D.C. and go before the United States Supreme Court. It is amazing. Yeah, what a fascinating story. Uh, Professor Deborah Gammons is our guest on the Charleston School of Law podcast as we wrap up here. want to remind you that you can uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify. We also have our streaming interviews on our website. That's maybe where you're listening right now at charlestonlaw.edu. Thank you so much for listening. Certainly uh, give us a review on there. It helps quite a bit. So uh, Friday at 2 o'clock, location where that is, and can, is it open to the public? Can you give us some details about that? It is at the South Carolina Bar Conference Center okay. in Columbia. And from my understanding, it I think it's just open to attorneys okay. and law students. But if the those listening will go to the South Carolina Bar website, they're able to see under CLE seminars, they are able to see this particular seminar that we're doing on February 25th, Friday, beginning at 2 o'clock. The plan is to view the documentary 
and then the discussion that I will have with Mr. Durfner and Mr. Duncan will happen after the viewing of the documentary. Fantastic. That's uh, this Friday. So um, we're going to put the link that Deborah is talking to right below this podcast so you can click directly from the podcast and go and look at the details and contact if you do really want to come and see this. They'll show the documentary. They'll have a Q&A with the panel after that. It's all being done at the South Carolina Bar Conference Center. And that's in Columbia. It's this Friday at 2 o'clock. Yes. Deborah, thank you so much for coming on the thank podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all continue to do Let's what's do right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much.